This is a HeadGum Podcast. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to give you a piece of information which annoyingly we did not have at the time of recording this incredible interview with Matthew Mercer, which is that we will be premiering Outlaws and Obelisks, our brand new actual play campaign this Thursday. That is right, Thursday the 2nd of September, Outlaws and Obelisks, episode 1 will drop on our main feed, so make sure you are subscribed to get a notification of when that drops. And if you want to see all of the incredible artwork and cast announcements that we we have make sure you check out at tb halflings and you can see all the goodness on there on our twitter and instagram and not only that if you want to get some bonus episodes where we talk about outlaws and obelisks with all of our amazing guests you can head over to patreon.com forward slash tb halflings to get yourself some bonus episodes thank you very much let's get into this week's episode with matthew mercer It's me, Jasper William Cartwright, and I am joined today by... Leander Unati Lewis Nyo, but everybody calls me Unati! And... Jeremy Cobb, but Emma Carlson from Blackwater D&D calls me Jeremy Corn on the Cobb. Huh! I'm really it's, surprised... It's honestly astonishing it's taken yeah, this I'm long. Yeah, I'm really surprised we haven't got that one already. I'm really surprised yeah. we haven't got that one already. That feels like it would be, uh, that would be an early one. Um, so... We have a guest with us today, everyone, and our guest today doesn't really need any uh, introduction, but I will. I'm just going to go list off all of their IMDb credits real quick. It's only 404, I think. Oh, God, so no. we won't, we'll only be here for a minute. Um, <laughs> no, I'm totally joking. Um, we are very, very excited to welcome two Three Black Halflings, the DM for Critical Role and a board member of the Critical Role Foundation, among many other things, a professional voice actor, an incredible talent, an all-round wonderful person. Person, Matthew Mercer, how are you? Welcome to TVH. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. No, no, I'm doing good. Doing good. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm conscious on this, uh, this morning, and happy to see some faces because uh, I don't, I don't think I see enough these days. <laughs> yes, yes, that is like such a. That is honestly one of the, one of the biggest pleasures of doing a talk show version of like a D and D podcast is that we just mm-hmm. is an excuse to just mix with people. So like, hey, yeah. do you want to like just hang out for an hour and shoot? the shit like it's really just nice to have that and these days because otherwise it's just like (laughs) i don't see anyone just just me and my thoughts this is perfect this is this is fulfilling yes Mm. yes scratching (laughs) scratching the itch of social interaction with people and being like oh i'm gonna find out about someone it's nice indeed Um, how how is everyone else i'm now imagining you with like three back scratchers (laughs) with our faces on them perfect (laughs) just like (laughs) just like (laughs) just scratching that Um, itch but no, I'm I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. I'm uh, I, life is very busy at the moment, which is very good. We're uh, we're gearing up for a new season, which I'm going to talk about at the end of this episode. To make sure you stick around to hear a bit yeah. more about that. Um, but that's that's a little a little busy. But uh, yeah, otherwise very good, very good. How are you two? 
coffee the size of my head, I am in the stratosphere. That's how I am. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, I'm I'm feeling great. Uh, looking forward to. I'm also I'm DMing the new season, so I'm like, uh, well, here we go. Yeah, we got some episodes after this, so we got yeah. we we're we're gearing up for that as well, which is yeah. very exciting. I feel you. Oh my god! This is the wrong dungeon and the wrong dragons. <laughs> Full prince vibe. Woof! <laughs> this makes them even more black. something real big now but matt we are yes. here to talk uh, a little bit about you and uh, your uh, uh life in D and okay. uh, maybe throw out some tips and tricks and things like that but um we have a bit of a tradition on the show which is where we um ask people what like D origin story is now i thought mm. we'd do it a little differently for you just because i feel like you know you've been asked about your origin story before i think it's you had a bit of an experience <laughs> with a tricky dm in as yeah, in high yeah. school if i'm not mistaken school yeah um which i would definitely we could dig into that later but i wanted to know as like a child when was the first time that you loved fell, fell in love with like a fantasy world or like made a fantasy world like i feel like oh man yeah what was that do you, uh, do you know what that was do you know what that world was <laughs> made a fantasy world i can't pinpoint a place i i grew up an artist as a kid so like i was constantly drawing creatures and weird shit and my sketchbooks and whatever paper I could get a hold <laughs> yeah. of in class so I, mean, I kind of always was creating things that everyone else looked at and went this kid has problems um, <laughs> but uh, as far as fantasy world that I fell in love with uh, I a lot of it really began for me with the NES like growing up playing old school mm. Nintendo games mm-hmm. and the very early like Dragon Quest game and the first Final Fantasy and those are my first real uh, immersive experiences into uh, fantasy worlds and then I got into novels after that and that's where I got into like Isaac Asimov and you know, while I loved him at the time, the problematic Piers Anthony, uh, you know, like I started to finally discover this this realm of, of books and my, my reading comprehension got to a point where I could actually understand them. Um, mm. But yeah, I think the early NES games was, was definitely my first real... I mean, back when I used to, I didn't know how to pronounce a lot of these creatures' names, so ogres were ogres and, you know, odd odd little <laughs> factors like that. When I was reading Harry Potter, I think I always called Hermione Hermione until I heard it in the movies. Because <laughs> I think I was like seven when I started reading those Hermione. books. <laughs> Hermione. Like, all right, English is running, ne? It's running away. Yeah. <laughs> Bless. But I have to say, I have almost exactly the same thing in the Final Fantasy. My mum uh, got Final Fantasy, I think, on like PlayStation One or something. And I remember the mm-hmm. two of us staying up like really late, and have I have like a really now like visceral reaction because it was like a real bonding Ooh. moment for me and my mum to like sit and play a video game together. Aww. But Final Fantasy, I remember that world was just so like. Oh, it was just so amazing. I remember the little because back in those days it was like you zoomed out to a map and you'd kind of fast yeah. travel by like moving your little person around the map and and actually seeing like a map of a world that wasn't like yeah. a, a normal map. Even that for me felt so like ah, oh, like such a strong evocative thing to like see like a fantasy map and 
all the crazy stuff on it. So I guess sort of transitioning from there, you obviously started DMing and uh, then eventually uh, the whole Geek and Sundry thing came along. And I think one of the things that's come up for for us is like that transition, because you transitioned from, it, you transitioned the game from Pathfinder to D&D, right? Is that, is that correct? correct? The, the first the, a campaign? The very, very first session that I ran for them, which was supposed to be a one shot for Liam's birthday, mm. Most of them had never played a game, and so the very first session we played technically was a very watered down fourth edition game. Because oh, I was wow. like, I was like, okay, okay. these are kind of like button pushes abilities. They don't have to like, you know, it's it's laid out really well. There's at wills. There's you know encounter powers and a daily. That for a first one shot, I can I can go into Photoshop wow. and really prune down the character sheet and make it easy to comprehend, and mm. we'll go with that. When it became an actual campaign when they wanted to do a second and a third session i was like all right i i can't do this in fourth edition there are elements of fourth edition that i appreciate (laughs) but with a group that was looking to be eight players combat would take 16 hours so i um i decided you know we're gonna move to pathfinder yeah yeah (laughs) it's so funny that look on your face of just like yeah fourth edition combat like i've never actually played fourth edition but like everyone who i know Mm -hmm. has played fourth edition or everyone we ask on the show about fourth edition there's just always a slightly like long stare that kind of comes after talking about it (laughs) which is quite funny it's got it's got some fun things in the skill mechanics and the uh the combat honestly fourth edition is a good system if you have like three players like if it's a smaller group size, right. then it runs a little bit quicker. But once you start getting to five, six players, it can become a slog really, really quickly. Yeah, and I think the D and D in general, like it, you've got to like know the ropes as a DM before you can really start to like pick up the pace and stuff with combat. Because I mm-hmm. think, especially when I first started DMing, like it can it can definitely take a minute. Like if you're not like. <laughs> you know really like know your monsters know where everything's at especially if you're doing like theater of the mind and you're trying to work all that stuff out and you haven't exercised that part of your brain like it can be a real like oh boy okay this is taking a while like we did all we did today was was fight some goblins in a forest okay that was four hours and even how long like fifth edition combat can sometimes take yeah that's what i mean uh Mm -hmm. the the fact that the idea that fourth edition combat was like apparently considerably worse is just like man yeah Ooh, this yeah. is a slow. This is a slow game. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, one of the one of the questions that we had we wanted to know is like for you transitioning uh, it from that home game to the the live game, um, or just even to like a public facing game. Like it's mm-hmm. such a big transition. We've spoken about it a bunch on the show and how we were and weren't ready at the same time. There was like a whole host of things we didn't think about. What were the like the, the pitfalls and the nice surprises from like switching from home game to, you know, what you do now, I guess? No, no, that's it's, it's a great conversation. Um, I mean, in very much the same vein. Uh, many things prepared for and un- unprepared for. Um, one, <laughs> having to, to drive to a studio to play as opposed to just like going to our living room as a... A, a transition for us <laughs> yeah. at the time. Um, having a bunch of cameras and a crew around. Uh, initially, you know, they, they were mm-hmm. like, well, what can we do to up the ante, you know, visually and transcend just sitting at a table? And we were like, no, we just want to sit at a table. Just turn the cameras on. Let us keep <laughs> doing our thing. You know, that's why we do this for, for us. And if people we want people to watch, then sure. Um, so mm-hmm. not a lot changed initially. Um, as time went on, 
we found that one, it's more challenging to continuously eat at the table. You can be messy and you know crass with your food when you're two <laughs> yeah. and your friends when people are watching you. Chris, you have thousands of people watching friends. you. Yeah, yeah, you start getting messy pizza like, on your chin. And, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Has, has eaten on our actual actual play show before. Yeah. yeah. Just, just got, audio. <laughs> yeah, you gotta I eat when you gotta one, eat. The, yeah, there was one really distinct like thing that I can remember where I was like, I was in it, I was doing like some, we were doing some role play, and I was hearing some crunching, and I was like, that's like, what's like, what is, and I remember looked up, and you know, it was like deep in a bag of crisps, and I just remember my editor, I immediately came out, and my editor brain, who had to go and work on the episode afterwards, was just like, you know what, you Nazi, know, I love you, but fuck you right now. <laughs> this, is, this is gonna suck. This is gonna suck. I'd completely forgotten that I was being recorded and I had the loudest snack ever. <laughs> and I was really enjoying it too. I think, I was it, was like, like, oh, I think oh, it was worse oh, actually, because I think I actually asked you afterwards and you were like, no, no, it was like it was like dried vegetable like you know, like vegetable crisps, which were like extra oh, crunchy. Yeah. It was like those. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but it was stuff like that. It was we we were just being messy on yeah. camera and then we didn't even think about it at the time and and then all of a sudden people on the internet start clipping it and sending it to us and it starts, you know, getting comments. We're like, oh, oh no, this lives on here forever. Uh, so that was definitely a bit of a transition. No way. Yeah. Other, other challenges would have been, uh, I mean, just getting used to having cameras around that thankfully fell around, mm-hmm. fell away pretty quickly. You know, once, once you get your friends at the table and you've already kind of built a rapport, once you're in the moment, you can focus. A lot of that, thankfully, tended to to fade. I think having a little bit of a theater background helped because we were used to kind of ignoring an audience when when doing mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it's it's, it's a strange a... transition because uh, we're all theater people, and it's like uh, mm-hmm. and it's a strange transition going from like a, a live to a non-live audience, but still doing something that yeah. feels quite interactive in the sense that like they're not like on the other end, they're not like opposite you cheering or yeah. say, do you know what I mean or commenting yeah. or whatever. Like, but they're still there, right? Because they're still like live in the chat. You know, they're watching. You know that they're present. Mm-hmm. But it's not like it's a very different experience. I think from like it, immediate. Yeah gratification or immediately like oh that didn't that didn't land you know what I mean like yeah. you, can, you yep. can kind of adjust and see how it's going whereas yeah, whereas yeah. like uh, with this it's like I don't know I mean I could check the yeah. chat I guess exactly. but that's yeah. like, that yeah. like a bad idea yeah. to, you know yeah. <laughs> yeah no I feel that entirely it, it, it definitely I mean we, we realized this quickly doing doing our show very much kind of scratched that that theater itch that a lot of us missed, you know, mm. we, we haven't been able to perform in a long time because of careers. And to be honest, the theater scene in Los Angeles doesn't quite match up to a lot of other places, but, mm. uh, but it, it very much kind of was hearkening back to the things we loved about live theater, being able to create in that space. And every night was a different, unique night. Every session was a unique session. And then if people engage with it and enjoy it, we could see the feedback via the internet, mostly mm. sometimes positive, sometimes not so much, but you know, you learn as you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think some of the positive transitions of going into live streaming our game was uh, the players and myself began to take the story more seriously, meaning there's a little less slapdickery at the table. Mm. A, a little mm. less. It's still there. There's little, no, yeah. It doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are still slapping some dicks. It, yeah, 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 yeah. It's getting stuck in some Yeah, yeah, But yeah, like, you know, there's a lot less side conversations at the table. Everyone feels more present and engaged, whereas when you're playing at home casually, a lot of it also can be just catching up during the game or mm. showing silly, you know, Twitter messages or... You know, it's just it's it's more of a 
a casual hangout as well as a game when you're playing at home, but when you're on the live stream, you're a little more just present the entire time. And that mm. also leads to a, a kind of a kind of a cool feedback loop of, of just appreciation of what we're all doing. So that was kind of a cool net positive. Yeah. Of, of mm. Note taking definitely increased <laughs> when we went <laughs> yes. to doing it. Like, you know, stuff like that was, that was a big one. I yeah. think even yeah, for yeah. me, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, I should take a note of this because no. we yeah. don't, we yeah. only have like a certain amount of time and I don't want to be asking the same question that you've just answered. Whereas at home games, it's like the atypical question, right? Where you get around to your like turn in combat and you're like, oh DM, what's happening? Just uh, yep. I, uh oh like, that one drives me uh, mad as a DM. I'm dude. always just like, can, can I roll a history oh, check? Like, do, do I know this? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do I know this? You should if you check your notes. No, I left my notebook somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's brutal. I did yeah. that to so you brutal. on Monday. Yeah, brutal. Uh, that's we've definitely yeah. There's there's uh oh, it's I wanted to say the the. The process of also like DMing something like that has to be a big switch as well, because like for me, I'm thinking if there are fans out there who are following the show closely, they're going to notice if I do something inconsistent. Whereas if if it's just at home and I forget some ruling that I made or some like random story beat or something gets dropped, uh, it doesn't really matter because we can like either nobody will notice or we'll just laugh about it when it happens and we can hand wave it. Mm. But now you have an audience of people who are becoming emotionally invested Mm. in what you're making. And they're Mm. like, what? No, you can't do this to me. You're devaluing this content. And it's like, oh, no. 100% on that. That is very specifically one of the unexpected aspects of stress perpetually in my life since this started. Um, you I know, can hear I, it, man. I, I feel it from yeah. me right now. Like, it's coming it's so through the Zoom. I love it. I'm sharing yeah. the anxiety with the room here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it out. Let's limber up. We can do this. No. We can do this together. Yeah. It's fine. I, I love world building. I love running games, uh, but but you're entirely correct. Like There, there is an aspect of, of when you're just you and the friends at the table, you know, things get dropped or you put as much effort as you feel you you need to for the time and at the end of the day you all still love each other and you're 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 cool if something gets dropped or misinterpreted or you misspeak or misremember mm. a detail you're like ah, we'll fudge it and keep moving forward and it's fine um but when you have a lot of people that are engaged not just engaging with the content but are supporting your content and supporting what you do with whether it be like you know subscribing or buying mm. your merchandise or whatever there is a level of expectation of return mm. and a, a mm. you know a terrifying capitalist end game that we live in. So, yeah. Yeah. jumping on that, actually, I'm interested to know. Like, for you, is it is it a um uh, a process whereby it's a? Do you feel like it's a less potentially a less collaborative space? It, purely in the sense that, like, in my home games, if I make a, a goof or something with the world, or we get to a certain like a place where maybe the the characters had previous, I might be a little bit more liberal in terms of letting them describe it or just letting them be like, you know, I'll ask them like, hey, I didn't really plan that. What do you mm. think? Like, what do you think it is? Whereas I don't mm. know if you, whether you do that, you know what I mean, with your world. And, and I guess same to you, Jeremy, like in because this is a world that you've meticulously created. And like you said, you've got this side of following. Do you feel that there's that kind of pressure to have uh, maybe planned all the little nooks and crannies where you might not have done at home? I mean, there's pressure to it, but also I'm, I'm a person. 
and uh, there's only so much I can do. So, no, you know, you're not I, a person. You're, you're yeah, you're, you're like you're I, like I, the, the super <laughs> super Saiyan version of a DM, right? That's that's what you are. The internet told me. I googled your name today. That's what the internet told me you were. So, uh, yeah, no pressure. I, I, I'm fine. sorry. I'm sorry. That's just what it is. That's what the internet said. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No, but, but but to that point, like, uh, you know, you you do as much as you can, and I I have a level of meticulous uh, prep that I do with the expectation that a lot of it's just going to go away. It's mm. not so much like I want this world to be consistent at all times. I want to be as consistent as I can, but also it's just for myself to be ready for when things get thrown out the window. I have some things floating around in my head that I can maybe reach out to and grab and tailor. And a lot of what you see in the show is improvised. You know, I I don't write a you know 17-page novel every session. The players have to hit all the beats. There's no like preparation in advance mm. where I'm sending emails out like, this is where we're going. Here's what we want you guys to do this session. Like it is the players. Our love of this is me creating a bunch of stuff that I know my players are going to ruin and the players coming to <laughs> yep. the table yep. with no idea what's coming next. And then we all just kind of find that magic Wait, in the moment. Matt, are you telling me the critical role is not scripted? No. I refuse to I believe this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is my favorite compliment. It, it's so funny. It, we, were, we had this. I can't remember when we brought this up last time, but we came to the conclusion that like the, the, the one simple reason why it's never true of any show ever is the amount of work it would actually be to try and script that much content which right? that's the bit that makes it completely <laughs> implausible like to actually <sighs> script four hours every single week would be a mind-boggling amount of work <laughs> like I an effort well, <laughs> I just I just yeah, no. and I, I, I will say no. to to this point no. you know and I mean Jeremy I'm not trying to ruin either of our shines here DMs do a lot of work and are you know a, a big important part of the story but I think we also get way too much credit for the quality of the good story being told because so much of it is the players at the table. Mm. It's that magic you all create together and I keep seeing stuff like the Matt Mercer effect online and how, you know, DMs either he's the reason it's great or he's the reason it sucks or whatever and I'm like, no, no. Everyone is responsible for that. And, you know, my preparation is largely just trying to build a framework that they get to play in and we get to throw the ball back and forth and see what happens. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, that, that, that's just a, a facet I think people need to talk about more is like any, whenever a good game happens. Yeah. Thank your DM, but also thank the players and DMs. Yeah. Thank yeah. your players yeah. for engaging Absolutely. and taking what you did and making it better as it goes, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I 100% agree. The in terms of like power dynamics, the DM may be the individual with the single most power, but in the vast majority of tables, the players outnumber them and can absolutely mm. do just as much if not more mm. to shape mm. the tone and feel of a campaign. Like if Critical Role had a had four different ca- different cast members than it currently has, it would just be a different show. Mm. Like it wouldn't Entirely. it wouldn't feel the same. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's with this uh new season that we're doing, uh the first uh, actual play season that we've done on the show uh, that we did on the show had just Jasper and Unati <laughs> for most of it as the players. And this new season, we've added three, well, two, three-ish, depending on the which episode you're on, yep. <laughs> new, new players. And it completely transforms the dynamic. Mm. Uh, every time you add a new person, the dynamic shifts. And yeah. uh, like 
your DMing may be roughly consistent, but the whole feel and tone yeah. of it is going to change yeah. depending on who's at the table. So I hundred percent agree. You have mm. to give the players credit. And well, I mean, shout out to the players on critical role. Uh, you, get, you got some great players on that show. Mm. You got some really, I'm, really good players on that show. I am so thankful. I'm writing their coattails <laughs> continuously through this. Like I'm, I'm just happy that somehow, you know, whenever, whenever you have a good game group yeah. and you get the groove going every now and then you have to stop and look around and be like, man, I'm so lucky to have these people in my life. Life and mm. that we're all willing to as adults in a world that tells you not to play mm. to still be able to sit around and and allow ourselves to play together in this space mm. like that's such a yeah. it's yeah. such a healthy thing for us to do as mm. people as human beings that we do not give ourselves enough time to do so mm. it's it's just such a great outlet yeah mm. on the on the subject of i guess the transition <laughs> from uh dming a private home game to dming a public show essentially how mm-hmm. would you uh, say like how if all has your dm preparation process changed like from session to session it's definitely gotten more intense if only for what we just previously discussed <laughs> the expectations of consistency mm. in the world um you know mm. before playing online i you know i put a certain amount of effort into it but i'd still be like well whatever you know we're having drinks at the table and we'll we'll find out where the story goes when the i realize there are people that, po- that point <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> like... but now when there's like people creating wikis that detail every facet of what was said in every NPC at any point in the story like three years ago mm. like I can't fuck that up now because anytime and I, I do <laughs> on occasionally because I'm, I'm I'm an imperfect person who my brain has brain farts here and there and I'll say the wrong god name or I'll say the wrong NPC name and all of a sudden I'll get like a series of tweets of like um um <laughs> you are wrong about your thing and I'm like you're right I am wrong and you know what that's okay <laughs> Okay, you know? you're wrong about your thing. Like what? A, like what a thing to say. Like that's just so amazing. Cool. Like, yeah. gumption, glad that they're engaged and interested enough to get that. You know, passionate about it, and I don't get angry about it mostly unless they're being a real dick about it. I'm just like, yeah, I was wrong. Hey, guess what? You can be wrong too because. Mm-hmm. We're people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so wildly off topic, but um, uh, Yunati, just, you just made a Drag Race reference. And I want to point that I got that one. <laughs> and I wanted to actually, flat, because Matt, you are into Drag Race, right? <laughs> like, you, like, I saw a conversation, I think, happening. Was it you and Michelle Visage on Twitter? And I remember yeah, being like, no! <laughs> like, my world's just went... Boosh, boo, like like my partner's Same. world and mine just went smashed into each other. I was like, Matt Mercer and myself as well, having a conversation on Twitter. Like it was that was some of the most engaging shit I've ever seen. I was like, wow, I it gotta was I gotta super see wild. This. You're not yeah, wrong. No, I've yeah. I've been I've been yeah. a fan of of just just drag in general uh for well over a decade. Like before I even got into drag race, just had a lot of friends in the drag scene in Los Angeles mm-hmm. years ago and uh, you know, just frequented a lot of those spaces uh and then got into Drag Race because it was, you know, while it isn't without its issues, um, it it is a wonderful platform that would otherwise not exist for some of these amazing people, this amazing platform for them to show their craft, to show their art, to, to build build a career, you know, yeah. a sustainable career. Uh, so, like, I, I, I love and support it for that. And, uh, yeah, when, when I got I've always, and I follow a few queens on there and, and mm. then, you know, a few of them have messaged back who are who are critters. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> That's so wild. Michelle Visage was the one that blew my mind. And it yeah. was because uh, one of her kids is a critter. 
And she tweeted, like, apparently I need to talk to you. Uh, because you follow me, or uh, something akin like I don't know, I don't really n- understand this, but my kid says I'm cool because you follow me. And I was like, uh, that's weird. That's a moment. So we just got, and we got in a conversation because their their kids, uh, her kids went to the same high school as me, and oh, yes. we got in this long Whoa. conversation about how we just both had terrible experiences at that high school. Uh, it was very much in, in a, it was Agora High School, which is an area where the the class disparity is extreme. Uh, yeah. You have like the, like you have up on one hill, all of the Hollywood, you know, lead actors of all these major films with these massive mansions. And then you have all the apartments at the road. And that's kind of where, where we were. And yeah. so you have us who are working two jobs, hopefully to maybe have a car by the time we graduate. And then kids coming into class being like, I can't believe my mom got me the SUV that didn't have the full 5.1 surround sound. I'm just going to go and return it. And they're like, I could have fucking choke a bitch. Oh, man. That is. So we just spent a long time talking about that. And I guess there's stuff that her kid had a bad experience with. And so we bonded over a bad high school experiences for her kid and me and then we just started just talking about she's like so what do you do and I explained D&D and Critical Role and she's like cool uh, <laughs> no 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 legit we've got like a TV series coming out and everything I promise Michelle I promise it's a yeah. Yeah, she was she was extremely sweet and we went ahead and uh, we sent a huge like merch care package Aww. to her daughter she took pictures where they're posing it and it was it was really really cool and uh, that was about it it was it wasn't anything major I'm just hoping that you know whenever this uh, panini is over and we they get back to doing audience filled mm. finales you know maybe they maybe sneak me into the very very back row yeah yeah maybe just maybe you know uh yeah wow that's um it's it's moved over to the uk now so i'm also hoping for the same thing i'm actually not far from where oh, i yeah. like film a lot of the studio stuff so i'm like hey come on uh yeah. and i work, with, I work UK with people that are producing the it. it's so good it's so, so, so good, good. Um, well it's it's great because in that way like i mean i love drag race but it's gotten so big and constructed and mm. perf- you know yeah reality TV performative in some ways in the yeah. more recent seasons but UK feels like old school drag race yeah. UK, UK has is kind raw of... like there's a lot of the jokes yeah. in there where I'm like oh I think some Americans are going to have a shock when they watch it's this because like I some foul mouth queens still still having to go get some of your dresses from H&M do you know what I mean like yeah, oh, the, it's still oh, the, the, let's not get started on the H&M saga everyone let's not get started on the H&M saga oh, that was a classic room RuPaul's face. I was that like, was wow. genuinely the funniest thing. <laughs> one of the funniest things I've witnessed. Um, uh, I want to. Well, just Jeremy. This is how I feel when you talk about music. By the way, it's just like, nope, nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I'm having a good old time imagining yeah. what all of these people look like and sound like and act like in this show. Yeah. What this show is like. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Creating good. a whole headcanon for Ooh. RuPaul's Drag Race right now. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, amazing. Well, to 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 transition back, I guess. Uh, head? Can I tra- transition with a head cannon? I don't know. Maybe there's uh, something D and D related in head cannon. I don't know. Someone feel free to help me out. Well, I have a head cannon transition. There, there we, we go. go. I have a great head cannon <laughs> transition. It's not D and D related, but I was going to have to bring it up no matter what because Matt, the very first thing that I ever saw that you did uh, was 
what, a little over 10 years ago when I was still in high school and I used to go on The Escapist all the time and they started posting There Will Be Brawl, (laughs) the web series, and me and my friends were like, yo, this is so sick. Uh, Shout out to Chris and Taylor. Uh, We were all like, this is great. And I remember uh, watching like the first couple of episodes and like when Kirby shows up for the first time and everything, I was like, I was because I was a huge Silence of the Lambs fan at the the time too. So I was like, ah! Like so hyped, uh, but yeah, <laughs> that series awesome. was fantastic. That was really Thank great. Thank you very much. For those who don't know, um, I I directed a web series and performed a web series well over a decade ago, and we had no budget. I had a camera <laughs> and some that. Pitched in for, and a bunch of friends went like, "We had like, based on a conversation, we were talking about the Smash Brothers universe, and we're like, if you really break it down, there's a lot of fucked up elements here. Like, <laughs> you know, like if they were all, you know, the Mushroom Kingdom keeps losing its its leadership over and over again. It's got to be a, a tough environment. Uh, Kirby, when you think about it, just eats people and wears their skin. He like yeah. swallows mm-hmm. them, and like because mm-hmm. they just sent out Sonic the Hedgehog for Brawl. Yeah. And uh, at that time, and you know, everyone else has a hat, but he eats Sonic and then has Sonic's scalp, like just ripped <laughs> off his head and placed on his own. And we're like, okay, yeah, this goes to a whole creepier level. Uh, so, yeah, so we began to build this dark Nintendo universe and then decided to shoot it on no budget. And so we had There Will Be Brawl, which was a like a, kind of a film noir-esque HBO crime drama version of the Smash Brothers Nintendo universe that starred Luigi in a trench coat who was selling power-ups and, you know, alleyways to make a living until eventually stuff goes down and then there's a power vacuum and all these various mafia dons are all trying to rush in to take power and there's, like, mystery and intrigue and murder and sex <laughs> and messiness and it's just... It was... And, it, and it's it's ridiculous and it's terrible and it sure there's a lot of problematic elements that at the time we weren't aware of, but, like... We had a good time with it. Uh, I met a lot of my great friends to this day on that production because it really was a passion project. Um, so, and uh, and in my head canon still to this day, uh, Captain Falcon is one of the greatest uh, gay club owners yes. and managers. Yes. So that was such a great reveal. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he, what is he's in a he's in a relationship with um, who was with it? Pitt. With Pitt, yeah, oh, that was great. Pitt. So, yeah. my, my, my big, Not the healthiest relationship, <laughs> but. but my big question, Matt, is when is the uh, HBO version of There Will Be Brawl with uh, like De Niro and Pesci as Luigi and Mario coming out? Like that's that's what I want to know. <laughs> I I get the strangest sense that uh, knowing the content of our web series ten years ago, Nintendo's probably not going to give us mm. our blessing. Uh, <laughs> is that going to be a hard pass on that one? Yeah. 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 You know, when, it, when, an ep- when an episode opens with uh, Luigi and Peach both kind of staring on opposite ends of a, of a seedy hotel bed, uh, kind of in this de- like post-coital depression, there's a silence, yep. and then Peach, Peach just says over her shoulder, you think I'm a whore, don't you? Because, you know, Nintendo, Nintendo's, Nintendo's not going to go no. for it. It's, it's, That's a no. That's no. a no. Oh, my God. That's a no. Please picture, though. Please picture. I just no. want to be in that pitch room just to watch their faces when they watch, like, the... the just to get Sakurai in there across the table. Yeah. <laughs> just, to wa- just to watch them watch the animatic that you make for the... Like, do you know what Perfect. I mean? Like, it would be... Wow, that would be... Wild, but I, and it, doesn't it end with Kirby having? It's implied that Kirby has eaten uh, Miyamoto at the end because uh, he's yeah he's behind his desk. <laughs> so he's <laughs> oh, 
yeah. Kirby, Kirby gets away. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler alert. That was a guys. great series. That was a lot yeah, of fun. It was fun. Well, I, I, I built this giant Kirby puppet that was uh, was like paper mache over a, uh, a yoga ball was how I had originally built it. Whoa. And it had these really creepy human-like eyes that I could puppet from behind and a jaw that opened and closed with these rows of sharp teeth that were actually like press-on nails that I had cut into points and then glued in. Whoa. That's so uh, cool. And so I just got inside, and it was super uncomfortable, but then puppeteered it and ADR'd it. And so, you know, Kirby's always like, oh. So it went more of like, oh, no. more of like a Kirby, Kirby sound. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hello no. there, Princess Peach. Do you like your boys <laughs> tall and thin or short and fat? <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm gonna start the petition right no. now for Nintendo to officially uh, to get to green like this. But I think there is actually there is a genuine uh, transition here because I think that there is like a bit of a generational thing in that like there is a lot of people I think that started out like like you did, and I think I was very much inspired by that same thing of like being at that age where suddenly like cameras and 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 like e- like editing software and stuff like that was just like available to everyone. It wasn't like this like Hollywood yeah. trick. And I think that that it really has informed now this generation of like content creators, which kind of I think is starting to shift the power a little bit away. Away from you know the the the, the sort of dominant uh, you know uh, gatekeeping style thing. So, and I, I'm interested to know, especially for you, having you know now you like own Critical Role, you own all mm-hmm. like a hundred percent of it, I, as far as I'm aware, and it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's like your thing, like. Uh, what what's that like? I mean, I, I mean, we have a very t- tiny microcosm experience of like owning a thing and having a business, and there's money, and there's you know, it's a, it's it's a pressure. But like for you, like it's a, it's a full large company. You ship merch all over the world. You have you know mm. so many listeners and people that interact with you, and that kind of I'm guessing kind of all born out of like stuff like that, like picking up a camera, you know, ten years or whatever, well, ten years plus mm. ago, and starting to create your own content. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I mean, to your point, too, I'll, I'll, the the accessibility of editing software and, you know, hobbyist grade um, filming equipment that is affordable and high quality, uh, it, it really changed the game. Uh, the industry is built on gatekeeping, you know, and always has from the very mm. beginning. Mm. There's a small handful of, let's be honest, old white dudes at the top that want to just control who can be successful, mm. who can get paid. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's all everything with Harvey like Weinstein. Kirby. That's basically what they want. <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. You know, an equally terrible and person. You, you wouldn't wear uh, your scalp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really but, isn't all but, that but far from the truth, I feel like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's absurd that there is an industry yeah. that uh, where <clears throat> everyone's career is controlled by a very small number of people. And it's been that way for a very, very long time. And it's because of this transition now, the availability of this, uh, not just the right equipment, but people who are making it accessible to learn, to teach people mm-hmm. how to do this as a community and empower each other, that that system is crumbling, mm-hmm. you know? And then while platforms can wax and wane based on how well they support that or pull away from that sort of support, there's always going to be a new way for people to find a way to create content, get to an audience. Like through Patreon was a big shift. Being able to to reach out to a community and go, hey, guys, do you like what we do? Now you can just help support us directly and not have to go to a publisher. A big part of what we do 
with Critical Role, you know, we, we want to make sure our content is free and available. And, you know, people have come to us being like, why don't you put it behind a paywall? Why don't you mm-hmm. go ahead and institute these classic systems? And it's like, we want we don't want to force people to have to pay for our content. We want to make it available and give them the opportunities to support us through subs if they want to, mm-hmm. you know, or to support through buying merch. And hopefully that's enough. And so far, it's been enough to keep us going. Uh, but it's it's finding those new ways of engaging your audience. And, and I, I love this idea of not forcing people to to have to pay for what you do, mm. but allowing them the opportunity to support it and feel good and feel like they're really part of something. Oh, yeah. that's, that's things I want to mm-hmm. support. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I have I, mm-hmm. I, I, one of my larger <laughs> bills every month is Patreon to a lot of people that I want to keep their work going. And uh, so I, I just love the idea of that, that positive feedback loop. And while it's not possible for everyone to do it, I don't hold it against anybody who you know, uses services or, or uses paywalls, you know, like mm. at all, um, the, you, know, you got to mm. do what you got to do. And that works for, for a lot of people out there. And there's, there's no shade in that whatsoever. But, you know, I, I like the idea of, of this transition to taking the power away from these institutions yeah. that are, as you can tell, freaking out and floundering as they begin to see it slip away. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. They run and they run and scared, and so they should because I think that you know, like I think you you know, your critical role is is such good evidence of that, mm-hmm. and like I think that you know, shows like ours were definitely born out of seeing the success that you all had and being like, oh, maybe there is a platform, maybe there is a way that you could actually reach a a, a group of people and have a you know, even if it's a, mm-hmm. only a small one, have a community, and I think like. For me, like starting this a little over a year ago, just the idea of having a community was something that just blew me away. And like the idea of it made me so happy and excited just to be like, just for that small thing, let alone, Mm -hmm. you know, any other success and everything that comes with it. And, um, and I think that's been a, a thing for us is that like a lot of people reach out and say like, oh, your your show is really helpful or like, you know, you've inspired me to start playing. And and that for me then feels so incredible. And that for me is why it is so important that it stays free or, it, you know, it stays accessible <laughs> in terms of like what we're doing, especially on this main show in terms of like giving tips and like making the game more accessible for people and things like that. It feels really like really rich um and and definitely very rewarding and then and then hey like if you like it you can go get more stuff that we do um yeah. you know that's like a, another option you can go and do the, the 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 other stuff that we do but um but like yeah this bit's definitely always always free um I guess actually probably leads us to a good time to ask this question because um, mm. this is my little uh, fanboy moment. Uh, Jeremy's had his, uh, but my f- the 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 f- uh, one and only source book that I officially like bought uh, was the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount. I oh, absolutely awesome. fucking love that source book. It is incredible. Most of the worlds and things that I build are based on that because I just think it's really really cool. But legitimately, one of the main things for me was uh, the way that you handled um, and, you know, you and the sort of writing team behind that book handled race in the book. Um, And it's a big thing that we talk about a lot on this show uh, is like, how do we make these worlds feel more inclusive and representative and steer away from things like evil races and, you know, all these kind of stereotypic tropes that just are so unhelpful. And like, even in campaign two, having the drow having such a complex society and having uh uh you know like a a, a really uh, such a, 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 as as rich and full a world as everyone else did 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, felt like a, such a huge step in the right direction in terms of, um, you know, my me feeling comfortable enough to pick up a book and start playing and start interacting with this world because it was it was very it is a very weird thing I think as a as a POC to pick up a thing and go oh all of the people that look like this are bad yeah, yeah. that feels weird yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> and and so. One of the things for that we were I wanted to throw out to you and ask was like what where did that I guess where did that come from uh, did you see that like gap was it something that just felt very natural for you to do and sort of start that transition in terms of when making the source book um, and I guess sort of specifically with you know like the drow and and also the Eberron orcs which again yeah. start to transition away from that stereotype and things so just yeah where did your inspiration come to for the 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 book and the way you tackled race in it and specifically those two races yeah no completely uh you know and 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 i i grew up on tolkien and classic fantasy in which you know from my perspective you know orcs were just kind of almost like the equivalent of demons these sort of like mm. not not people but just a force of of evil and that was just my interpretation as a kid who had no other media coming at me as mm-hmm. the years went on and even in in you know my home campaigns and stuff when we started doing Critical Role, I had this weird, I was in this weird place when we were first starting out that a lot of eyes were on me from the old school and the very staunch mm. classic D&D world of going, is this new kid going to fuck it up? <laughs> and mm. and to be fair, I don't give a shit anymore. Spoiler alert, you he know, did right? and it's fucking great. <laughs> <I'll say>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but like even in the early Tadori campaign stuff, I was scared to deviate from... Mm. Uh, from like a lot of D and D canon, and so even like in that first book that I did, a lot of the orc and half orc stuff there, I basically just kind of kept it in line with the player's handbook because a part of me was like, well, I don't want to rock the boat too much, even though I still felt it was a lot of it was intense. Mm-hmm. And I've learned a hell of a lot uh, in you know just in my life experience as an adult from uh, you know friends of mine who are people of color and and are into these same you know tabletop scenes and fantasy worlds and stuff informing me of of things that are blind to my perspective because that that's not my existence and that's not my experience and as that's progressed things that i always felt were a little weird now had much more context as to why i felt they were strange mm. and i didn't mm. want to fall into that oh i guess i have to keep it consistent to keep the old guard happy yeah you know, that that was like at the mm. very beginning too you know and when, when our camp when before we had this this surgence of real like new people to D and new perspectives and fresh faces uh from all over the world those early like year or two you you know second year of critical role a lot of it was the classic old guard of RPGs looking at us going like, I don't know. I don't know about these new kids. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of them have turned out to, to have jumped over with us. Some still right on 4chan, how we're ruining the world and we deserve to die in a fire. And you know what? I consider that success. Wow. Yeah, I, think that's I mean, that's a, that's a lot of energy to direct at one person when it comes to a fantasy right. world, right? That feels like a lot of work. Don't you need to wash your hair or mow the lawn or... <laughs> Take care of your life. I don't know, start like a sourdough starter or something or start gardening. I don't know, like find a hobby. Because clearly this has become like an obsession for you now and I think you need to chill. Mm. Mm. (laughs) It's a a little curious. But but to your point, like once I kind of 
quickly bucked that that hook into the, that old mindset and and kept learning more. And it kind of further formed why I felt uncomfortable with a lot of these themes. It was like, I, I have the power to change it in my world at the very least. Mm. And so going into campaign two, especially, I set out from the get-go to kind of reform the idea of the orc races in Exandria, to reform how drow are... Uh, viewed in Exandria without erasing the fact where it's like completely redoing because just like the, the idea isn't like now all drow are good mm-hmm. you know that that mm-hmm. in its own way seems yeah, uh, yeah we, tactless and <laughs> yeah we've spoken yeah. about that a lot on the show and that like even the, the flip side is just as is kind of because you're still then just uh, uh, like generalizing about a whole entire group or, or uh, exactly. people uh, mm-hmm. but, but with no real basis in kind of truth and reality because like it's like even in like the animal kingdom like no two animals behave the same in every situation and do you know what I mean like it is mm-hmm. there like there is always subtlety and nuance within anything and that is the way you humanize things like exactly. if you genuinely want to display uh the drow and the orcs as humans and as like having human like uh sentience and you know control then complexity is the only way to do that like yeah. there's mm-hmm. there, you can't achieve it uh, you you know you can't have your the, 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 it both ways you can't have yeah Reduction is reduction is reduction. Yeah. Like you cut yeah. you, whether you whichever way you reduce it, it still just takes away agency. Mm. Doesn't matter which way you mm. go. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it that that's kind of where a lot of it began was wanting to to just kind of for our game and for this world to uh, to change that and hopefully change other people's minds and get them used to that idea going forward. You know, I spoke with a lot of friends for you know to, like to consult on how the best ways to do this and you know what what are your problems with it how, how does this bother you how can we change that and kind of really put all that energy into reforming this for the world and and making it a big part of the story making making the drow not some subterranean evil race mm. obsessed with loth that maybe you'll go into and it's a few encounters and it's bad like no no this is a big part of the story is a, a drow civilization that in many ways probably is a little more morally uh digestible mm. than the main human empire that the first major part of the campaign took place in, you know, and play in that moral Mm -hmm. gray space as a way of teaching that people are people. They are messy and there are good, there are bad, and there are people that are just trying to live and get along. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that became kind of the driving force from that point. And that was before there even was a source book being discussed. This was just the campaign. And so when the source book came in, that was very much one of the early driving points when I was talking to Wizards was like, we, I really want to make sure that this comes across. I want to make sure that this is a step towards that direction, which I think you all should be going. And to be fair, mm. they also were like, mm. we have, we want to be going this way already. Mm. We're trying to, you know, we're yeah. talking with a lot of people and bringing in new voices yeah. and wanting to change this going <laughs> forward. So it was, it wasn't a fight by any means. Mm. <laughs> mm. I think, uh, and even like, just even like the artwork and stuff in that book, like the, the diversity, even in the artwork is just, is so wild, like head and shoulders above like anything else I've seen in like earlier source books and stuff. And it's a, it's a big deal. Like it's a very, the whole reason we're called Three Black Halflings is because we couldn't find Jerry we could not find for love nor money a picture of a black halfling when we first started playing together. <laughs> yeah, uh, I found I found the one race that I did because there is one picture mm. that exists. I'm gonna drop it. I found it. Oh, I've had yes. it lined up for this specific it, occasion. Reason. Uh, it's like an obscure <laughs> sub race. Let me see if I can uh, call the Anadian halfling. They're they're these like they live on like polar ice caps on like a faraway planet. Uh, called Anadia, I think. I've, I don't, I think, I think they're from second edition. 
I've wow. never, I've only ever seen the wow. one that I dropped into the chat. That is the only picture I've ever seen of one. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I don't think they've ever showed up well. in anything else. It's, it's such it's a, a strong look. It's a very strong look. look. <laughs> it looks like a Jerry Kell, yes? It looks very yeah. greasy. Yeah. yeah. Very greasy. <laughs> this dude, this dude greasy. is hosting like a talk show of some description. Like, he's, he's out here. <laughs> You know. He's the head of the Lionel Richie fan club. This is the guy that want, this is the guy that saunters into the disco, and all the other single guys are like, "Gosh, shit, there go my chances." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like it's 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 baffling to me. Like I remember when Jeremy was telling me about this, I was like, "You think you can't be right?" And I was like, "It was like it was very right. It was very yeah. true." Um, and the, I think one of the big things was that we that Jeremy's character was specifically coded black, so he wanted to find artwork that looked, you know, as all he wanted was just I remember you saying like you were like okay black halfling monk nope okay black halfling okay uh, ooh, black brown halfling anything yeah, like, it, was, it was like I saw some cosplay I think that was it I saw maybe yeah. one or two black cosplayers mm. who had mm. cod- cosplayed hobbits uh, from like Lord of the Rings but there mm. was no art until the Lotus Den halfling that was the first time I think that I'd ever seen official Yay. art of any kind of a black halfling and now they're all Yay. over the place yeah Good. Yeah, black halflings everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, that, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That, that was a, an important thing to us when we were doing the book was to make sure that it represented the world around us. I think that's that's. It's very and it, honestly, a lot of times it's just the artists. Uh, mm. Some in in the history of of these books, I mean, a lot of them are are. Mm. Let's be honest; they're they're white uh, from the hiring process of just you know the problematic like minded hiring. Um, and their world experience sometimes isn't expansive mm-hmm. or the people who are who are giving them the art direction, they just need to experience the world more. And so a big part of this and a big part of the building of Alexandria is to make it reflect the world that we actually live in. And, you know, I feel very thankful that I grew up in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, diverse areas of Los Angeles uh, for the majority of my life. And, uh, you know, it, it feels because of that, a lot of books previously felt weird because it it felt very... Um, for lack of a better term, pale and colorless. <laughs> like it just it lacked you know, melanin. Uh, yeah, it's cool. That's what yeah, it, was. it lacked it a lot of melanin. Lot of and, melanin. <laughs> and and so you know, and but look, I'm 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 a white dude. I've you know I've grew up with my subconscious biases just from growing up in in American society and where it's baked into this fucking structure. So you know, I'm still working on my stuff. But part of that process is being open to to changing things and and you know learning from other people's experiences and and uh, trying to help that reflect in the work that we do. And so that that was a big part of putting together that campaign book and want to continue to do that and do better with that in future stuff that we do. Mm. I think that's that's such a huge thing, isn't it? Like uh, just having the ability to actually say, hey, I'm willing to have this conversation, even if it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I realized some things that I did which maybe weren't like on the level as much as I would like, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And just acknowledging that, you know, I have biases, I have things that I, and that goes for everyone. Do you know what I mean? We've spoken about on this show a lot like that goes for POCs too do you know what I mean like I've I know I've had to check myself a lot over the like in recent years because I've like I've learned a lot I've educated I've cho- I've chosen to have that conversation even if it does make me feel uncomfortable at times and I think that like the your willingness in that moment to like actually reach out to people and be like hey how do we make this better like where is it sticky for you where does it feel you know uh, uncomfortable for you that's really important and it is important that 
you know that you you did that because the the, the evidence is is here. It, it's like you know, like you said, with the we have black halfling art in an official source book, and that's that's important. That's going to be <laughs> important not just for like us three sat here, but like a load of black kids around the world who pick up that book and go like, oh whoa, I'm going to be a halfling, and it's not just you know Elijah Wood and, and his friends. You know, it's it's <laughs> the, as the only representation of of, of halflings. So um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely important and uh, and and uh, yeah, cool to hear how that that process went um i'm interested actually the, with the eberron orcs specifically what was the was there a particular like inspiration for that or was it partly just like exandria orcs? sorry exandria orcs. sorry yeah. um yeah, yeah. Was, was there a, was there a process for that or was there like a <laughs> uh oh i want to we just want to you or did you just want to play around with the the concept of the orc <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to carvana it doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, largely just want to play around with the concept of the orc. There wasn't a specific impetus beyond just looking at, you know, my previous understanding of orcs and fantasy, uh, mm. and then going, okay, yeah, no, that I was just believing what I was told and what I was given and went like, oh yeah, that's just how things are. And then realizing mm. that that, that is not the case. The coding is problematic. And there is a lot of real world issues that parallel this, that no one's really willing to talk about. And if, and even I, at one point, somebody was like, uh, you know, orcs, orcs are problematic in D and D, and I was like, no, no, they're just, they're just the bad guys. And then I was like, oh no, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. that's bad. What's wrong with me? Like, yeah. you know, and and so it's just, it's it's learning that the things that you've that you've been taught aren't always correct, and being able to adjust mm. and change. So like, if there wasn't a specific impetus beyond just me wanting to do better and wanting to to figure out a way to make it more welcoming, to make it more inclusive, and honestly, more nuanced. Mm. You know, it's 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 lazy world building that leads to creating things like that in my opinion you know mm. orcs were easy bad guys because i didn't have to put a lot of effort into it yeah. but if you but that ends up having a product that has no effort into it and honestly sub, is subpar to what it could be if you wanted to go ahead and take the time and make it nuanced make it realistic make it you know experiential and detailed yeah, so, we, uh, <laughs> we we always give the we always, Jeremy always gives the your uh, kobolds thing of uh, like you slay a bunch of kobolds and then you walk around the corner and they have families. You know, it's just like yeah. that's the, <laughs> the very simple way is to just be like, yep, yeah, yeah, you feel bad now, don't you? Yeah, consequences, yeah, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> well, to that uh, point this... too, like I sorry, just to go on that. Oh no, that no, tangent, please go I, ahead. Growing up on D anD D because it was the the. RPG system that I grew up with, uh, and in itself is, you know, it's a game where you're supposed to fight and kill things, mm. supposed to. And that's the biggest challenge that I'm facing as we continue to do this is like combat is important because it's 
a part of the system. Mm. But we're also telling a story and and, and trying to explore you know, emotional context of struggle in in the world and and trying to do the right thing and being swept up in matters that are larger than yourself but still feel like you can exert change in a world where you're just a person like these are all very important themes that you want to to do and also not feel like you're just a bunch of murder hobos wandering the world <laughs> killing things especially yeah. sentient things yeah and so the biggest challenge that i continue to, to to work on for myself with my games is how best can i make combat not necessarily a murder fest how to find combatants that feel like they should be combatants, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, to where there's, there's a reason for them to be considered worth combating or worth mm. killing in a way that doesn't feel too morally great. And even that I haven't been perfect at because, unfortunately, it's an imperfect system that kind of gears you up for that. Mm. But, mm. you know, that's that's just a challenge going forward. There's a lot of great indie systems that are tackling aspects of that, too. And I hope that mm. as D&D continues to progress in the future, it can find ways to, to bake into the way it presents the system for new DMs and players to consider that not every battle has to end with, you murdered everything else on the table, good job, experiencing gold for everyone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, now I'm going to raid their dead bodies for all the, the, all the earthly yep. goods they had and just leave yeah. them on yeah. the side of the road. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a... No burial yeah. That was super imperialistic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, was, <laughs> that was something I was going to ask was like, with it seems like in the past five years, uh, five, six years, there has been a real shift uh, with, I think, D and D has gotten a lot more progressive in the last five, six mm-hmm. years, it seems like. And there's been a lot more fans of the game who are coming in who are have much more progressive perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I think prior to now, the problem that you're flagging was not really considered much of a problem for most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that the D and D mainstream is starting to shift, my, I'm wondering what an event sixth edition might look like when you have now a whole lot of people who really have rejected a lot of the D&D's roots. A lot of D&D's roots is like a war game, uh, an mm-hmm. imperialist war game. We're just going around killing stuff, taking loot. Uh, and now they're like, well, no, I want to tell an intricate story with all these, you know, intri- like role play. And my character goes on a journey and we learn things and, and like uh, building that part of the game up more. Because really, it. Uh, I, in fact, I think a few of the people that I've played with, mm. uh, newer players mm. who have just experience playing video games have remarked that it, it feel D&D feels like two different games. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Pokemon where you have yeah. the part where you're exploring and doing role play mm-hmm. and then you and then encounter something that music plays and now we have the turn-based battle system that we have to enter and now we it's like a mini game or like a separate game that's tacked on and it'll be interesting to see what how they manage to like synthesize those two or if they synthesize them going forward because there's still a sizable number of people who like playing like being murder hobos going around killing stuff getting loot yeah i I think that's the that's the tough place that wizards is in with it you know Mm -hmm. uh they have they have to or at least feel like they have to please the classic gamers that come and and come to it for a more wargaming experience and the new generation who are coming to it from more of a narrative experience and in trying to appease both sides Mm -hmm. wholly yeah you end up get a little messy and everyone's not entirely happy and that's it's an impossible situation for them that I, I, I hope they can figure something out. I, I do not know if, if they can because you can't please everybody. Mm. So you just kind of have to do your best in a direction and go with it. Um, and to that to that point, D&D, you know, 
is a great system. It's not the best system for everybody because everyone has a different thing they get from the game. You know, there are people that can still play 5th edition and just do full-on wargaming tactical (laughs) combat play. And to the point you were making as a DM, it takes a lot of energy and effort to try and find ways to make it not feel too much like it's two different games. But Mm -hmm. it's part of the system. So it's just a a unique challenge that we have to face in running it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's um, the the idea when you're we've talked about it. We would, I think we talked about it on a very recent episode. Uh, we, would, we were talking about the drow actually, very specifically, and sort of saying how um, there are two factors in this. In the sense that you're starting from a source material which is so which like which really wasn't you know if we're going all the way back to like early editions and things that that really were built for that very niche uh like you know uh, gamers uh, the like sort of white uh cishet you know gendered mm. like men and that was very much like the kind of target audience and and that was but that's like the root cause right so and everything if it, everything stems from that mm. it's always going to have that flavor in there like it's going to be very hard to completely yeah. detach from it even if you wanted to right and then yeah. add on top of that that you've now got uh something it's almost like uh you create something not knowing its full reach and extent and then you kind of go oh there's a lot more people under this like umbrella now than we mm-hmm. thought were going to be here you know like we didn't we yeah. didn't think we'd have, even have to tailor to these people do you know what i mean um yeah uh, and, and I don't think that's a fault necessarily, like all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone has blind spots. It's about acknowledging the blind spots and then working towards them and, yeah. and making yourself and improving. But like, it just means again, like you've got this whole system, which probably when it was first conceived was not in service of all of the, literally the, almost like the entire gamut of humanity now. Like there was probably someone representing every group of people playing D&D on some level now. Like there are really yeah. young kids, there are really old people, there are people from mm-hmm. every race and background and do you know what I mean? Like that, and that is an impossible yeah. task. That literally is an insurmountable task. Um, yeah, it's, it's so a unique challenge the be- wizard has ahead of them. Mm, mm, very unique. Very, very mm. unique. Um, but an interesting one. <laughs> a moment like, of silence for wizards. Like <laughs> yeah, we'll bow our heads. Uh, for many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for many, they, many they, reasons. they do have a lot of really, really good people working there on the on the creative level. And uh, a number of friends of mine that we've met in other elements uh, and other projects that have gone on to join them and have brought nothing but exactly that kind of necessary energy towards the direction we want to see them go. So I'm, I'm very hopeful mm. for some of the things that, that mm. they're, they're working on uh but you know we're we're just we're just focusing on our stuff over here i mean it's interesting you see also like a lot of the uh a lot of the the classic gaming side my first introduction to D &D, uh, i was the only white dude it was the, the group that i played with in high school uh it was you know primarily korean and uh filipino and you know half asian and black and so i didn't have that initial you know expectation but when that game ended uh and i went on to play with people after that no people of color in any place that i went to play the game every comic shop every online forum everywhere i went and anybody that knew about Mm. role-playing games and wanted to play them all white dudes Mm. and occasionally occasionally a girl and when that happened you're like holy shit whoa you roll dice (laughs) what you know (laughs) and and that that's horrifying Mm. Uh, and and looking back on it but i'm so glad that that's changed so Mm. much Mm. since like even just the past like to your point five six years or so not only is it one proven that they've always been there that 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 people Mm. of every creed have always been here 
uh, but more and more are getting involved and yeah. really making it their own. And, I think it's. Uh, I think. I mean, part of the top. I mean, Wizards of the Coast job is really, really impossible. But there's also the beauty of the community itself. Is that like everyone's decided to lead with a lot of people have decided to lead with positivity and take care of their little five by five square, right? Mm-hmm. And as if as many people mm-hmm. take care of their little five by five square, you put all those five by five squares together, and you've got acres. And then people, and you've got a community, and people are working to it. I would just make to suggest to wizards call more of those people into the boardroom yes call more of them into the decision making spaces because they're kind of doing the job already and it's less mm-hmm. work for you mm-hmm. just say <laughs> right uh, yeah right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've said my piece. I am behind you on this piece that, wholeheartedly. That was such a beautiful <laughs> metaphor, though. I think for the community, like what, like I, I, I it's such a, tr- it's so true, isn't it? Like that, I, I kind of love the idea of the Forgotten Realms now as this like beautiful tapestry of different kinds of worlds, from, you know, that that are populated with all different kinds of people, and you can go and take stuff from other realms and bring those into your game and enrich yeah. your game, and and like that's the big thing that we always talk about, right? Is like we always say on the show, like we're not trying to change your game we're trying to give you tools to enrich your game like we want to give you the tools mm-hmm. to like elevate something that you're doing and give you something like a, a different perspective to think about and and that sort of thing and uh and uh, yeah it just it feels feels really lovely and thank you Nasty, for throwing Ooh. out because i i that's just a really lovely, five by um, five. mental image Ooh. five by five everyone take Hell care yeah. of that five by five <laughs> um uh, uh, we we always do a thing, Matt, on the show, um, and uh, which is where we ask our uh, guests for a tale from the table, uh, and it can be okay. uh, the, the the main specification for this is that it is as wild as possible. Like we want like the truly most unbelievable kind of ridiculous off the wall. It can be something that someone does. It can be a scenario that just kind of happened, um, and okay. it could be something really sentimental. It could be something really. Uh, um, chaotic, know, crazy, chaotic. Wild. Uh, yeah, we can, it, you can run the gamut. Totally I love up to the you. Heartwarming okay. ones. Heartwarming. We've had the heartwarmings. <laughs> there's some of the some. Yeah, yeah there's we've some had heartwarming. We've had funny. We've had horrifying. Mm-hmm. Have we had horrifying? That's all on you. Yeah, yeah we've had horrifying. That's yeah, just, yeah, that's you, just you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> You'll listen when you well. hear the new season that comes out. There's definitely uh, Jeremy's got horrifying <laughs> ticks nicely on that one. Hmm. In a great way, oh, in a man. very good way. <laughs> I think if we're going like wild, mm. uh, the the wild, weirdest and hilarious story that I could think of off the top of my head. Um, so at the end of high school, one of the guys that we played with, his name is Todd, he, uh, he loved Rifts. Rifts <laughs> as the Palladium RPG, which if you're unfamiliar with it, it is ridiculous it's it's like a bunch of 13 year olds decided to make an rpg and just put everything in it they're like you could be a psychic dolphin you could be a, a cyber knight ninja you can be a, a bow wielding elf that has a car you could have you could be a giant suit of mech you know power armor with a with a rail gun on top it sparkles you can it, it's it's, it's, great. it's absurd it, yeah. there's a reason we played it because it sounds great and then you play it you're like this system is it's untenable in many ways um, this just doesn't hold but, up but I, but I love it. Like, like this, it, and, and once again, a very problematic setting in a lot of ways. But at the time, you know, there was a lot to, to pull from it that was really interesting and fun and weird and different from like the classic fantasy D&D that we were used to. But he owned every book. And the Palladium universe wasn't just Rifts. It also, they had the Ninja Turtles franchise, I think, for a bit. They had the, uh, the Macross 
you know, Robotech Ooh, universe uh, there. Okay. And uh, and our, our Todd was such like a, an evangelist for this system. And he was like, well, I'm running a game for you guys. And we ran for a little over a year and we were having fun with it. But we kept being like, this is the system in world's a little busted. And he's like, no, it's not. It's perfect. It's great. You know, and, and, we, and we were just kept being like, how do we show him how broken his world is? Oh. And, oh. And, and so we were like, we went, OK, OK, well. You say all of it's great. It's like, yeah, I mean, all the books are there. It's it's the Palladium universe. Anything that's in Palladium books is is up for grabs. We're like, okay. So in this in this game, the most crazy powerful things in the world, you know, for the most part, had what was called MDC, which is mega damage. That's like their hit points. Mm. And, you know, guns couldn't even do one mega damage. And some of these powerful creatures can have, like, two million <gasps> mega damage Whoa. that you're not supposed to kill. Or, like, you know, you have to... It's, like, endgame so stuff. Nuke, it's ridiculous. basically. Like, 20 <laughs> yeah. nukes by the sound of it. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we decided, after uh, getting ourselves a space cruiser, because it's that kind of a game, we went into the Macross book, and they had rules for the SDF-1. And if anyone had watched any of the old Macross stuff, SDF-1 is this massive, long, like almost like city-state size spaceship with a cannon in the front that took five minutes to charge. And it was a big part of the storyline. Every weapon in the game could say, like, it does 1d4 times 200,000 mega damage, or they all had a numerical value. This is the only weapon in the game that all it said under damage was destroys everything in its path. No damage number. (laughs) So we hijacked it. <laughs> we hijacked the SDF one. We took it over, eliminated the people that were running it, and so now we had this. And he's like, "Okay, what are you going to do with it?" We're like, "You said anything in the universe is game." He's like, "Yeah." Palladium made the terrible mistake of creating a Pantheon book that, <gasps> and is an extension of its of its problematicness. Had the Norse Pantheon, had the Hindu Pantheon, had all these Ooh. breakdowns yeah, of, of the actual. Mm. Yeah, like historical religions and stats mm. for all these deities. It's real bad. It was real bad. That's a fun. Whoa, buddy. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. That's some. That's some mid '90s RPG bullshit uh, right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend trying to give stats to like Vishnu. That seems real kind of. Uh, pretty sure that's in the book. Uh, and, but, but they also made them absurdly powerful because they're gods. They're, me- they're not meant to be something that you could fight and win. Yeah. But if your gun destroys everything in its path. So we just went and just started hunting Thor. And we hunted Odin. And we just started, like, systematically wiping out, like, the, the Norse pantheon before he went, all right, you know what, we're done. The campaign's over. He just got, oh. <laughs> he got frustrated. We completely abandoned the story and just went god hunting. And he's like, you win. You win. You won the game. You won the game. You broke Todd and won the game. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. That is absolutely amazing. You basically became now, Kratos. I the... think you'll find that it dis- destroys yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's we kept pointing everything. it out. We're like, no, uh, you could look, if you look right everything. here under the damage, he's like, shut up. <laughs> everything. <laughs> that's so funny. That's fully like, a, that's fully like, we always talk about this, about how like, uh, there's like those moments where, you're, where your players just like look up at you and go, actually, DM, and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Oh, yeah. shit. Like, the idea of someone picking up an item that they just went, by the way, uh, I'm going to fuck all your shit. Like, everything. Yeah. Everything be gone. Like, everything. How many archmages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 300,000 men? Cool, fine. 
all of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> turns into like this turned into sci-fi god of war. Yeah, this literally, is yeah. literally sci-fi like the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. 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 Death Star. Star I think I would have if I was the DM. I think I'd have immediately started a campaign where I became like the good guy of the campaign as the DM, mounting like a rebellion to try and get the gun <laughs> off of them, like or blow the gun See, up somehow. Yeah. That's that a good fun. way to handle it. Yeah, yeah. that'd have been fun. Yeah. Like you want to play? You want to play? Yeah, the gods like. <laughs> like form together okay Norse pantheon all like all these pantheons come together and be like okay destroys everything well they're not gonna stand in a line guys so start thinking <laughs> of your feet yeah. Yeah. Enki Marduk get over there to the side yeah. Arina, yeah. Just, like, g- g- gather yeah. them all oh my god that would have been amazing yeah. that would have actually been incredible <laughs> oh wow wow, wow. Yeah. um uh, did anyone have anything else I wanted to throw out because I'm just uh, I was just looking at the time so I was just thinking um We'll we'll start wrapping up, but um, I think I'm good. Sweet. Um, wow, uh, Matt. Honestly, that's so much fun to to talk uh, to talk to you today, and uh, and I'm I'm now gonna go find rifts because this just sounds wild, and I want to see what what the heck is going on. Uh, some of the art I need to I need to find before we close this up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to show you, like how some of this in- incredible artwork. Uh, there is the 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 plastic man armor. Plastic Man, <laughs> like the character Plastic Man from DC Comics. No, it's just it's it's just like one of the the main armors in the main book that you can get. I think I threw it oh, there. That, it? Yeah, that yeah, PNG yeah. works. Whoa, you know that's the quality <gasps> of art. Ooh, okay, <laughs> okay. Wow. One of the, old uh, school. Looks kind of like Master Chief. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, there was also uh, you know for like the player classes that you could choose, if you will. They had stuff like the Vagabond, which is just. Like an, an angry dude in a park with a gun. <laughs> it really is. Just a really angry guy. This is like. Wow. Look at this. This actually fits perfectly the aesthetic of that black halfling we found. Are we sure yeah. that black halfling wasn't He's on from the same this world? Game? Like, is that. <laughs> like, wow. That's an adventuring party. The three images I have open on my computer right now, this black halfling and these two, the plastic man and this very angry dude, they're all in the same adventuring party. Like, I love it. I love it's problematic it. as it's, hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Although, I mean, we haven't even gotten into the fact that, that Rifts had source books for each part of the world. Whoa. So they had like, they had like Rifts. Uh, was it Rifts England, Rifts Russia, Rifts Japan, Rifts Africa. Oh, and boy. And, oh boy. And I'm gonna get my hands on Rifts Africa. I want to see how bad that oh, is. I have a copy. I have a copy. It's real bad. I found oh, it at a garage no. sale years ago. And was like, I'm holding on to this just to, just to keep as a do not do this reminder. Matt, please, it's, <laughs> Matt. If there is any, if there is any way that we could find that or get hold of it or get some pictures, I want to do like a full deep dive. Where we just we just look <laughs> through this and do like a three black halflings react episode. It would be so funny. <laughs> it's real bad. It does have an alligator with a pistol in it, though. Hey. That was not, not like a bipedal okay. alligator. Like it's an just actual. like on the on the ground, kind of awkwardly holding a gun as it's trying to run along. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> That's so funny. You didn't even go with like the robotic arm that holds the pistol or nothing. It's just you an actual alligator trying to hold a gun. I'm just gonna try and 
stand on this uh, gun right now and see if I can pull the trigger. That's effectively what that crocodile is going for. As if they were apex like predators already. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, is it a rifle? Like, like, what kind of gun is it? And then death roll you. Is it a Glock? Does this thing have like a I, Glock? I think it's like a Glock. It's like you know, how to make Florida less... Somehow less interesting to go to is like, oh, the, the alligators have guns now. <laughs> they just all have, don't make me get my piece. Don't make me get my piece. Like, uh, what? <laughs> I, I love the idea that like the crocodiles or the alligators are like having to like, because they can't bring the gun into the water all the time. So they have to like leave right. it on the shoreline mm-hmm. or like hide it in like the underbrush. Mm. Uh, and so it's like a weapon of last resort. Like if you're really, <laughs> if the alligator's really scared, it has to like swim away to like it's hidey hole get the gun and then just hide there waiting for someone to come I'm and like, clutching uh, this you've got thing. like a set like they'd have to like set it up as well so that it was like yeah. accessible otherwise it would fully take them a second to get hold of the thing and then pull the yeah. trigger do you know what I mean like they'd have to have it like set up on like a little you know like dug into the ground a little stand like an M60 wow. but it's a little block that has got yeah a little kickstand it's like on a and little like tripod <laughs> the crocodile its nose is like extends past the barrel and it's just trying to like look out to see if anybody is coming oh no <laughs> it's, trying to, it's trying to look down the site like desperately yeah. trying to move it its head out of the way it literally <laughs> can't look down the site because its face is too long <laughs> it, no the site goes on its snout yes oh, yeah it, 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 it sets the gun it, like under its chin what, and it, what it's, it doesn't and, know is the gun's just pointing in a different direction but at least the site's on its snout like the gun's pointing somewhere else why is it these not crocodiles dying? just became so sympathetic <sighs> yeah I'm Wow. I'm rooting for these. I'm bad yeah. for these crocodiles now. <laughs> <laughs> the gun gators. Oh my god! I, yeah. this, I actually watched oh, a video yes. the other day. I don't know if you've seen this. It's absolutely wild. There is a video of a baby hippo, right, going up to like fully grown crocodiles and just like nibbling them and playing with their tails, bumping into them, nudging them, and the crocodiles don't do shit because the mum hippo is in the water, like ten meters mm-hmm. off, and these crocodiles are just like. Okay, no, and the the hippo is, is literally, the baby hippo is literally like gnawing on its tail, and it's just like, this is fine, this is, please wow. don't hurt me, like to the point where they're not even moving, like, they're not even trying to get out of the way of this thing. They're just like, I'ma stay right here. You nibble away, it's all it's all good. Well, the <laughs> like, teeth haven't come in yet. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, let yeah, it yeah, happen. I found it. I found <gasps> the picture. Yes, yes, yes. <gasps> Oh. We'll we'll have to put links to all of these pictures yeah. in the episode so people can see. Yeah. I'm saving all of the links yeah. right now. <laughs> this is great. This okay, is hold on. crazy. This is, I hope uh, this link works. We I haven't yet finished filming all of um, Outlaws and Obelisks, the uh, the 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 show uh, that we're working on, season two. Jeremy, if there is not a gun wielding crocodile in this setting by the end, <laughs> you have failed as a DM. Look. <laughs> Look at it. This is amazing. Look at it. So all of its other hands are normal crocodilian hands. Like except for one that it it's looks just... like a full on human a level human level of dexterity <laughs> holding <laughs> it. Rifts, baby. Uh, the, idea, <laughs> the idea of it trying to run on three legs, just being so yeah. uncoordinated. 
Because like they have to snake their body. The whole point, yeah, right, yeah. is they have to snake. So, Where is so he they keeping you? Where does he holster this thing? Definitely in his mouth. Yes. Definitely pops it in the mouth. Oh yeah, that's a bad. That's a bad idea. That's a, and, oh wow. And then you have to keep the safety on. You put the safety on. Pop it in the mouth. Close. I then also, you pop the mouth open and pull it out. I will also want to say uh, this. This crocodile's unnecessarily jacked as well. Like it's got a six pack. It's got like. It's got but those, it's like, like wiry just, jacked. It's yeah, not buff it's jacked. Just it's like old man. Yeah. It's ready to go. Yeah. Old man jacked. <laughs> it's old man jacked. That's really what it looks like. <laughs> Some grizzly old gator. Oh. Like, wow. uh, oh, this dude was, yeah, this dude, like, uh, just missed the cutoff for Vietnam, but, like, <laughs> saw all the movies and got jacked and is now just uncomfortably wiry. And what's yeah. he? He's got, like, guns don't kill people on the yeah. back of his pickup. <laughs> he does. He absolutely does. Yes. What's amazing like, as well is oh. that you, fu- like, now in my head, the dude before, the angry dude in the swamp, is fully a druid, and that is his familiar. <laughs> like, the crocodile with the gun is his familiar, and he's like, yeah, we all have guns. <laughs> Even my pet's got guns. I'm imagining this crocodile in a trucker hat, and it's it's on the back of it. It's pickup truck. The horn definitely plays La Cucaracha. When it, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. Florida. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you so That's much for sharing great. that that image. That Matt, hey. that might be the best thing you've ever done is showing yeah. us that picture. <laughs> I, I, that's made me so I, happy. It's, I don't disagree. <laughs> you're not wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, but wow, what honestly, what a phenomenal pleasure to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing this specifically this image and also you know your pearls of wisdom and insight on uh, uh on on D. my trains of thought are leaving so it's Friday hard right and now you just like, saw pivot, with the this gun. pivot is it's, difficult it's okay do you know what i mean this pivot yeah. is hard for yeah. me right now um that's okay <laughs> thank you so much for having me this has been an absolute pleasure you're all amazing um you. but i wanted okay. to just say uh, uh, uh there there is I, I, I find it inconceivable that anyone who is listening to our show doesn't know who you are. But uh, please tell us where people can interact with your stuff. And if there's just generally anything that you want to shout out, if there's anything that you would like the halflings uh, home listening to this, you would like them to go and check out for whatever reason. Indeed, indeed. The, the, the uh, floor is yours. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so we... Um, um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Matthew Mercer or on Instagram at Matthew Mercer VO. Um, but, uh, you know, we I'm Dungeon Master for our main critical role. We're gearing up for our third campaign in the near future. Uh, and when that is up and running, you can check us out Thursdays on Twitch at 7 p.m. Pacific. We have some cool content filling in the gap until we start campaign three, so keep an eye out. Uh, we just finished running a short-run series yeah, called Exandria Unlimited that was run by the amazing Abria yep. Iyengar. Yeah. Incredible players, uh, Robbie Damon, Amy Carrero. Uh, so much fun. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, highly recommended. It's a fun introduction to the slapdickery that we usually do on our channel. <laughs> oh, with um, a Bria? Nah, no way. I refuse I know, right? to believe there's any slapdickery in that. <laughs> uh, she's so fantastic. She really is. Um, <laughs> and I think the last thing I want to I want to pimp out, if you don't mind, is the Critical Role Foundation. Yes. We uh, it it is a long time coming, a lot of hard work getting it there, but we began and launched our uh, nonprofit 
Foundation, our charity foundation. Uh, you can find it at critrollcom foundation for information. But we partner with a number of other great charities and raise money for incredible endeavors. Uh, we just finished raising a bunch of money for A26LA to create a writer's room for underprivileged kids to build a space for teaching and uh, helping uh, develop creative writing skills and opportunities at a young age and our we have a new endeavor that'll be coming out pretty soon we'll be talking about that we're excited about as well but uh just a lot of really great people involved and a lot of amazing things the community has already helped happen with it and uh, hopefully like i said if 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 critical role goes away the foundation will be the legacy that i'm really proud of so Amazing. That's so amazing. And uh, mm-hmm. and what an awesome thing that you've like, you know, prioritized uh, getting that up and running and, and, and doing that. I think it's a, I think that's an awesome thing and a great way to to give back and, and get kids uh, doing creative writing and uh, teaching them those things, because Lord knows our governments aren't prioritizing it. So I'm glad that someone is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, True that. But politics aside, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't listened to Three Black Halflings before, uh, we are Three Black Halflings. We talk a lot about diversity and inclusion and we fall about laughing, talking about alligators with uh, unnecessarily jacked abs uh, a lot actually <laughs> that kind of thing in fact alligators and crocodiles come up a lot on our show i think we've actually had fan yeah. art before about a diverse range of crocodiles this is <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite pits of fan art we ever got was was uh, just a just range of, of crocodiles it was very fun um and uh, just to say, we have our uh, up. We have an upcoming uh, second season of actual play called Outlaws and Obelisks, um, mm-hmm. which is premiering in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you head over to our uh, Twitter and Instagram and check out uh, that at TB Halflings. It'll be very fun. We've got guests. Uh, we've got all kinds of shenanigans. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to tell them a little bit about the the world real quick? Do you want to just say what it is? Yeah, real quick. Drop that it's... thing in here. Yeah, it's. Uh post-apocalyptic North Africa inspired Western setting. Mm. So if you enjoy any of those three things, uh, then go check, come check it out. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, amazing. Uh, so yes, you find us everywhere at TV Halflings, uh, patreon.com forward slash TV Halflings as well. If you like more of the goodness and uh, you can get it over there. But for now, Matt, thank you so much for coming on Three Black Halflings. Uh, this was such a pleasure to get to talk to you and, uh, and hopefully it won't be the last time because it's been great fun and, uh, yeah. I want us to run a mm-hmm. game now where we all play as crocodiles with guns, uh, cause I think that'd Ooh. be real fun. I mean, and, and to that point, I, th- I think if, if I'm going to leave anything here, it's that, uh, our good friend here, Jeremy... Gun Gator Cobb can uh, make <laughs> yes, his way to the next yes, episode. Yes! <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, adding it to the list now. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> Jeremy's going to use that one for a minute as well. Like, I, that's, a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, wow. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Three Black Halflings. I hope that you have enjoyed it. Please have a truly fantastic week, and we will see you very, very soon. So long, shy of folks. So long, Shire folk. So long, Shire folk. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I just waved at no one. Yeah, we do it. I do it every time. <laughs> I consistently wave every time, despite there is no visual element to this show. It's uh, it's a problem. Um, <laughs> that... We're all craving interpersonal connection. Yes. <laughs> please, the past year and a half. Desperately. Any waving, please. Wave.
cute. Before you go anywhere, I have some patrons to thank. We have some wonderful people who signed up to our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash tbhalflings, where you get a bunch of extra goodies. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and check it out if you haven't already. But before you go, listen to this. I got so many new patrons to thank. So many new wonderful people. Um, so, starting off, we have Senna. Uh, then we have Amberine Khan, Graham, Ethan, Caleb, Prater, Fahey, Laura Goodman, Nell Joy, Elias Lutfaha, Daniel Walker, Caleb Yabara, RJ, Shauna Mandel, Dejona Terry, Sarah Carr, Jonathan Wade. <gasps> Someone has no name. There is no name here. They signed up on the 22nd of August. And uh, if that, if you sign up on the 22nd of August, maybe you don't have a name on your Patreon, this is for you. Thank you. Stephanie, LDA, Sinner, Jake P, Rev PM, and Adrian the Halfling Bard. Wow, so many amazing new patrons. I know I think I've said this before, but we are so, 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 so close to our Patreon stretch goal to do merch. So if you want to help tip us just over the edge there and get us to doing some TBH merch, if that would be something that you would enjoy, then go ahead, check out patreon.com forward slash tbhalflings. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you have enjoyed it. Bye-bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.